Bianca is a bereaved mother of two beautiful little babies gone too soon. Her firstborn was daughter Luna and second was baby son Atlas. Bianca has been a yoga and meditation teacher for now four years and has been practicing for 11. She gives many thanks to her yoga practice as it has not only helped um, carry her vessel of a body through the grief, but it has also helped her cope a lot better than some. She has a beautiful supportive husband and a very special dog called Harley. She is now currently living this life with grief to the best of her ability and chooses to continue to be graceful and as gentle as possible to continue sharing her story to not only help herself heal, but to also honour her children and to reach out to other mothers who are also on this grieving and healing journey. You can find her on Instagram at Bianca Zara. We think you're going to be really intrigued and blown away by Bianca's story and make sure you have some time to sit with this one because it's a little bit longer than their usual but it is wonderful to hear from Bianca and we are very honoured so we'll get right to it. Hi Bianca, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, how you guys going? We're well, thank you. How are you Bianca? I'm good. Today I'm good. That's good. That's good because I know that, you know, yesterday was a bit challenging and that's the uh, riding of the wave of the grief that we get dealt with. Um, so before we jump into your story um, with your two beautiful babies, um, we'd like to just sort of just sit with you for a moment and just have a little chat about where you're at at the moment, just tell us a little bit about life outside of your story. Okay, well, where I'm at at the moment, probably uh, just doing lots of yoga, um, a bit of yoga studies for further study. Uh, for me, that's been a huge thing to kind of reground me and bring me back a little bit to myself, not only in the sense of, you know, who I am, but where I'm going in life and how to deal with this new life as of such. Um, we're renovating our backyard. <laughs> so my husband's been very busy this weekend, but, you know, that's probably about it as far as where we're at with our journey. Um, we are currently planning on trying again and we have a bit of a a different plan this time. Still not a secure plan, but it's something, I guess, a little bit more stable with what's happened in our story for sure. Great. Thank you. And you have an awesome little pup who's by your side. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't bark. Every now and then he'll just be like, ah! That's <laughs> so all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'd love to um, dive into your story. We've, we're going to um, introduce your two babies in our introduction, but would you like to start by telling us a little bit about them? 
Yeah, um, so we have our daughter Luna. She was our firstborn baby girl. And then our secondborn baby was Atlas and he was our son. And they were both born still for no reason as of such. Mm. They're beautiful names. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, it really, you know, um, there's just, oh, I just, I can't even like it's, I know when you first had mentioned them to me, it just, it, oh, it, it can't, it just, not only just breaks my heart, but it's just, it's, oh, they're just so beautiful. <laughs> I've got no words. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. names were, the names are super special, like they were kind of chosen for them. Originally, uh, Luna's name was never going to be Luna, and we also didn't know whether we were having a boy or a girl. Um, and that was kind of our backup name, and it was originally our first name, and then we, you know, had a, a different name, which I really wanted to use. But uh, when she was born, because she was born still, the name that we had, it was the name of a flower, and it just didn't kind of fit because she never got to bloom. So we chose the name Luna, like we came back to it again as symbolic reason as the moon is always with us but it's out of reach. And also that soft little reminder that every night I can always just look up at the moon and, you know, kind of feel her. And then Atlas's name, it was always going to be Atlas. Like I really love those old school Greek god kind of names. Um, and Atlas, the Greek titan, he carried heaven on his shoulders and he navigated closely with the moon. So little did we know that, you know, his name his name came to me before he was even, you know, conceived. So I knew that he was always going to be Atlas. I just didn't know throughout the pregnancy that he was going to be so close to our little moon too. Oh, it's just, oh, it's, it's so beautiful, absolutely Oh, and this is we. That's why you know one of our things is to ask people, you know, whether they've named their babies and if they have meaning behind it. And oh, yeah, I just sure love. That's yeah. so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that yeah. with our listeners and us. Yeah. So shall we go back to the start? And would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, falling pregnant with Luna and finding out? about your pregnancy? Yeah, sure. So we, you know, mine and my husband's relationship was so super speedy Gonzalez. Um, we knew each other for a long time and then it was all of a sudden, five years down the track, we're like, oh, my God, I'm actually in love with you. And so we went from moving in together, finding out we're having our first kid together, buying a house together all in one year. So when we, and this is a year of being together as well, which is crazy, but when we found out we were pregnant with Luna, we we loved each other so much that we knew we were eventually going to have children. Um, and it was kind of just caught off as a surprise. I went to the dentist and it was the funniest thing. I remember being at the dentist and afterwards they had those jelly bean lollies, which is quite ironic because you'd think at a dentist they wouldn't have stuff that's bad for your teeth. Anyway, and I remember looking at these jelly bean lollies and just being like, oh, my God, I need one of those right now. So I literally just left the dentist and went straight to the supermarket, and I just bought all this food. Like I bought all these random craving fatty foods, and 
being a yoga teacher, I'd like to say I've got a pretty good diet and I'm pretty holistic and conscious of the food choices I make. And then it wasn't until I got home that I was like, why am I eating all these foods? And then it was like, oh, my God, am I pregnant? And then I remember doing the test and it just came back. And I, I think the first person I called was my boss because I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do before I even called my husband. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it was quite a surprise and it was super sudden, but it was like the best thing ever finding out we were pregnant because we were so going, we were so going to go down that track. I told you my dog was back at one point. Yeah, so good. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Like such a nice, like you know, you know, start to such an incredible story of you guys. And um, I love seeing like all your posts together because you guys are so beautiful together. And it's um, yeah, really nice to sort of hear that little little bit of insight to how it all began. So and. So we'll delve into a little bit now of how you tracked because obviously from what you know, like Luna was all fine and you don't know um, really still what um, why it's ended the way it has. So if you want to delve into that with our listeners. Yeah, sure. So it was pretty textbook pregnancy, you know, nauseous morning sickness for the first 12 weeks. Um I ended up, when I, we found out we were pregnant, I was already just over six weeks pregnant, so I didn't even know. Um, so we had our, our first scan and it was straight away heartbeat, you're pregnant, that's it. And that's kind of all you think, you're like, yep, cool, I'm pregnant, this is it now, next step is a baby. So it was very textbook pregnancy, a bit of morning sickness, um, craves that bad food, as you do. Um and I had, you know, I was in a section in the hospital that was chosen for the midwifery group. So it's more of that kind of hippie natural birth. We definitely had water birth planned. Um, you know, I was a yoga teacher, so I was planning to just breathe out um, my baby. <laughs> but even thinking of that now, I sound an idiot. But so that was kind of the plan. To be honest, from about 26 weeks, I started to bring up with my midwife because she'd come to our home and they were, they were like home appointments. So supernatural, just, you know, going with it easy. And I used to bring up, I feel a bit weird about the movements. What am I meant to be feeling? And, you know, she just kind of said things like, oh, it's, every baby's different and every woman's different and all of that sort of stuff. And then again, you know, from like 30-something weeks, I brought it up again and I just said, um, I'm not really too sure, like, if I'm getting enough movement or if it's strong enough. I think I was definitely expecting some crazy kicks. Like, I remember my mum used to talk about how I used to punch her in the ribs and she'd be, like, super breathless. And I just didn't get any of that with Luna. And then... Um, you know, it was, and I brought it up a few times, and she also mentioned at one point, like, it could be because I have such a strong core that I'm not feeling the baby's kicks. Um, you know, so that was also in the back of my mind. Um, and then she just said to kind of, like, count kick and, you know, just see if the baby just moves. And, and I did that definitely, like, I reckon the week before she passed. Like, I spent a good few days at home just counting the kicks and 
calling the midwife and then her just being like, yeah, that sounds okay and all good. And then um, we had a home scan at home. Like she came around with a Doppler and a student midwife and they came in at like 33 weeks, um, listened to the heartbeat. Once again, I complained about movement. I just said I'm not too sure. Um, still wasn't, you know, no, at no point was she like come into the hospital, let's just do an ultrasound. So for me, I was like, this is normal. This must be fine. Like this is just, you know, if there was a problem, they would at least want me to go into hospital. Um, and that was all good. And then I remember taking the next week off of work because I just really wanted to kind of hone in and feel the movements because I was worried that I wasn't getting enough. Like this is the thing. It's deep down there is this insane like instinctual knowing um, and unless you've had this sort of thing happen, you don't really realise what that was until you look back on it and go, oh, my God, this whole time my motherly instincts was telling me something was not right. And then literally I think we were 33 weeks and five days and I woke up, it was a Saturday morning and I woke up and I was like, oh, I haven't felt her or I didn't know it was a girl then, but I haven't felt baby move we did the good old orange juice um I took it super easy I even had a coffee because I was like maybe coffee would stimulate baby and I wasn't getting anything and then we decided to go into hospital that day I happened to call my midwife and because we had sub in midwives here so you'd have like a group of three in the midwifery group so I happened to get my sub in midwife and she was amazing and straight away she's like, look, just come in, even if it's fine, like it's just it's going to make you feel better to get a scan. Um, we literally went in and it was, you know, I, I thought a bit weird because I hadn't met this midwife before and I was like, who are you? Like, why are you doing this? And like, I don't even know you. Where's my normal midwife? Like, I'm freaking out already. Um, she tried to use the Doppler and, you know, was fumbling all around, couldn't find a heartbeat and then some generic older midwife just walked in and I remember her just going you're gonna to have to get a scan love and I was like okay cool is it is there something wrong with the baby she's like we don't know love and I just at that moment my heart was like sinking my palms turned to like sweat it was just you know even thinking of those feelings and how my body was you know, reacting to that sort of sensation right now can make me bring up those same sort of feelings. Um, and then we just went in. They pretty much, uh, like, put me on the bed. They do the whole turn the screen away from you. Everyone's very silent, very dark in the room. It's a very sterile room as it is. And then she just, the doctor just turned around and said, I'm so sorry, um, your baby's passed away. There is no heartbeat. And I think, you know, at that point, it's like, it, it's so surreal. It's not real. Like, it's like, that's not a thing. This sort of thing doesn't happen. I wasn't aware that even this sort of thing happened as often as it does. Um, and that's kind of, you know, and then it was just turned into this whirlwind of talking to other doctors, hanging around in a hospital, like, what the hell do we do now? And then in the scan, you know, they happened to tell us your baby was a girl which was just the most horrendous way to find out what gender your baby is, especially for a surprise gender. 
And, yeah, and then it just turned into the go home, get some rest and come back the next day. Bianca, wow. I've... (sighs) Thank you. And I know this is... um, We're going to go into Atlas as well. Um, But it's... It just shows, doesn't it, like the fact that your instincts already flagged, even from that first moment, that red flag of going, there's something wrong, but I'm not sure if I should really attune into how I'm feeling because there's always that self-doubt around how you feel and when people kind of quash that a bit for you and, as you said, like your midwife was like, well, every baby's different. But you knew really like instinctually, like you're like, hang on, no, no, like I do know, but you don't believe yourself until it's too late and you look back and it's just, oh, yeah. Oh, incredible. Do you want to? Chime in, Megan. Mm. No, you've got lots of lots going through. I can see it on your face. <laughs> I think the thing that stands out to me is um, that you still pursued it. You you regularly brought it up, and that was your way and your maternal instincts speaking in those moments, saying, "I'm not sure," and you trying the orange juice and the coffee. And I think it goes to show that even when you are in those moments and you know you still will try things and still speak up and sometimes the medical system isn't built to support that the best way that it probably could. We know it's not. (laughs) Well, that's that's, that's 100% because, you know, you think of, I, I, you know, I was reading this book when I was pregnant with Lona, and it's a beautiful book. It's called Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gasking. And she's just this crazy hippie dippy midwife from the 50s and 60s and moves into the 70s as well. So it's all about these crazy, like, water births and, like, births on a bus and all these women in the same room, and it's this full psychedelic birth, supposedly, like, touching the nipples and hooking up with your partner. I really got a lot of influence of that book because I was like, yeah, this is the way birth is going to be. And it's really strange. Like I finished that book and the last story in that book was a stillborn little girl. And I remember just being like putting the book down and being like, no way. Like that, I can't even read that. Like Bianca, don't even like dwell into that. That's not a thing. It doesn't happen. Like, you know, and I remember putting it away and just not thinking of it. And it's weird. It's like when I was complaining about movements, I felt like that, you know, that story was still in the back of my mind. But I had this reassurance because I was like, well, they're not wanting to do it, give me a scan. And for your first pregnancy, like you're lucky to get two scans, right? You just have your dating scan and then your 20-week scan. So I was like, well, if they're not willing to like scan me, it, it couldn't be an issue because it must be all fine. You know, you just think you hear heartbeat and that's it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a huge, um, you know, it's a huge fault in the system that you're trying to voice your, like, your baby's voice, but it's not being heard, I guess. 
Yeah, it's something actually we brought up before about the fact that as the mother, you are your baby's best advocate. Um, you're the one, you're its voice. Um, you know how you feel, you know how your baby feels, like you're the one that's in tune with everything. Um, and the fact that the system just pushes us out and how we feel like, you know, and not even just in this space, like just in how women birth and there's so many flaws in, you know, for the mother's voice. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, and that's just what I find quite really, really sad, I think, um, and how just the multitude of stories that I've read from people that have lost their babies is that just they just haven't been heard. Yeah. And you definitely, like, you have to trust the system. Like, I feel like if you don't have that trust in them, then it would just end up being this crazy, like, freak show. You'll just be, you wouldn't be able to, like, even deal with the pregnancy, you know, especially pregnancy after loss. Um, but even having that trust in the system, it's it almost like it dims your voice because you're like, oh, well, I trust these guys, so everything must be all good. And it's... It's quite hard that way to navigate between those two worlds, between the hospital world, but then mother and baby world as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, it seems to be that there's a missing link, I think, between the two, um, which is obviously in, in what we've all noticed is, is quite crucial. <laughs> um, mm. So coming back to your story, Bianca, you, I feel that we're at this pivotal moment with where this conversation has gone in that you have read these beautiful books and surrounded yourself with very um, conservative forms of care because there weren't any indications that you needed to kind of enter the medical system for emergency care or further testing. And so I, and with your yoga lifestyle, I'm sure you've surrounded yourself with beautiful natural therapies and tried all kinds of different things and you're now at this crossroads of finding out that Luna has died and walking into that very clinical setting. And would you like to kind of talk about, um, so you, just in your story you've come home to have some rest and then... Shall we pick back up with what happens the next day? Yeah, sure. So they just uh, they sent us home. I really didn't want to go home. Um, I felt like, it's so hard to say, but, like, I felt super ashamed. And the idea of, like, and they were almost like, you know, if you wanted to, you could just wait until you fall into labour. And the idea for that, on me is like if someone saw me with this big beautiful pregnant belly like I would just be so ashamed because my baby's not actually living so I was very traumatized having to go home with Luna um they they gave us sleeping pills and you know we went home and I I think that was definitely the first time I ever took sleeping pills so I think I slept for a few hours maybe um they gave us scan, 3D scan photos after she'd passed um, just to take home. I'm not really too sure why, but maybe it was just a nice little gesture. And 
I woke up in the morning and I like really early and I just went into the nursery and I was like holding these pictures and just like I couldn't even cry. My whole body was just like beside itself. I was like mourning with every single cell in my body. Um, so, sorry. Um, it's all right. Take as much time yeah. as you need. So it was super hard to like even comprehend what the F was going on, you know. So the next morning I just wanted to leave like ASAP. Like I wanted to be in that hospital like as soon as possible. And we came in like I think at 8 a.m. the earliest they could see us. And this was that time where we still didn't have any answers and they did all the blood tests and they took some tests. And then all of a sudden you get flooded with bears of hope. You get flooded with um, sands. SIDS, you get all these brochures on what to do when your baby dies. And, uh, you know, I, I like to read and I was in this weird numb headspace and I literally just read every single thing back to front while we waited for someone to come see us. Uh, we were quite late in our gestation with Luna, but because it was my first pregnancy, I didn't realise what were the options to take to induce labour. Um, so they just pretty much came in and said, you have to take this pill every few hours um, and that will bring on, like, contractions. Uh, so this pill was like hell. Um, it made me so sick. I ended up having this one constant contraction for, I think it was like 19 hours. I was throwing up. I was shitting my pants. Not to mention I never got on top of the pain. So because the pain was so quick and instant and intense, they would—they first gave me some bunch of drugs through a drip. Um, I pretty much maxed them out. Like I, you had to press the button when you'd need a top-up, and I was literally like non-stop just pressing it, pressing it, pressing it. Um, so I maxed that out, and then we were like, okay, we need an epidural. Like just for a moment, like I went from natural birth, water birth, I'm going to breathe this baby out into my arms. I'm going to catch this baby like a freaking lioness. Like everyone is going to get away and think I'm this super mama. And then I went into this full, like completely drugged up. Like everyone drug me up right now. I cannot feel. I cannot do this. Not only does my body is in agony from this intense labor, I'm sick, but also my whole body is just like mourning and scared, like so scared. So they they tried to get the uh, anaesthetist down, and he, he came in, and he was really lovely, and he was like, yep, I'll be back in about half an hour, and then we'll put it in. Uh, he came back five hours later. He was busy, and, you know, that's just how it works, I guess. There's only one person on the floor. So obviously there was someone who needed him more than me, um, and I was pretty much, like, on the gas, like, nonstop like breathing through it, which I must say it, it did take a little bit of that emotional part out of it, like that real like numb. It gave me that numbness that I just needed to do to deal with what the hell was going on. Um, by the time the anaesthetist came round, uh, I was in so much pain that they pretty much had to knock me out with the epidural. So when they put the epidural in, they doubled it up and I pretty much just passed out. So we had to stop all pushing and they had to stop giving me that drug because that drug kept on making me throw up. So this we went from 8 a.m. all through the evening and then 
like I think it was 9am the next day, they came back in and made me take that drug again and this is when we began obviously pushing and doing all of that and it's, you know, it's really hard to push when the baby isn't giving any energy. It's, you know, you don't even know what you're feeling. Um, But I think the most hardest thing about pushing is that part of you is like, okay, this pain has got to go, baby's got to come out, I've got to do this now, I've got no choice. And the other part is like, I don't want the baby to come out because if she's in me, then it's kind of normal, you know. So there's so much fear, there's so much fear that goes on in childbirth as it is. But even for the woman that has baby has passed and they're fearful knowing that they're about to meet their lifeless child for the first time, like, you know, it's almost torture. Um, so it took us a while to push because of that. Um, but then I remember my midwife at the time and she was, she was really lovely. This is the one that, you know, suggests all these things that she was really lovely and she was that hippie kind of midwife I wanted. And she said, your baby's crowning now. Like, be the first person to touch your baby. And I was like, oh, I got a moment in my hand. I was like, I can't do it. Like, I'm so scared. And, um, and she just held me through it. And, you know, I felt a little head. And, um, and then it was just, you know, it happened so quickly. And before I knew it, like, this beautiful little girl was on my chest. And she just looked like she should have been alive, you know. She was warm. She was, like, gorgeous. She had all the blood on her and she was fully formed, you know. She's this fully formed little baby. So that that was just, you know, like, it's in that moment when you birth your child that this realisation of what real love really is like sets in and it is just the most insane like rush of feeling and just you know going through that whole process of pregnancy and labor and then to meet this thing that you didn't even know was possible to love this child of your own but then to have this lifeless child of your own in your arms it's just this real lonely place of love I guess Oh, Bianca, that's, um, yeah, you've hit so many things that I, you know, as I'm listening, it's, you know, taking me through all my steps as well. And you said so many things that so many mums go through on and such an, you know, not even just an emotional level, just touching on what you said about, um, that first time you're holding your baby, even though your baby has passed, it's the, that moment is the most indescribable thing as a mother. And especially, um, like for me, I know I've had, you know, that moment with Arthur, but it is so completely different that one moment you're holding your baby and it's like an explosion of love and hurt and grief and I, I I feel like it's an encapsulation of every single emotion the human like body can feel 
and the soul can feel in one singular moment. And it's something that not many people have got to feel. And there's people like the, us that have felt that. And it's just, unless you've felt that, you've, you would never know. You'd never, there's no ever time that that can ever happen to a person. I can't say anything other yeah. than that's such a perfect description. And Bianca, the way that you just described the love that you have for your Luna is just so beautiful and the way that you you pulled yourself through all of your grief to connect with your baby and to touch her head and to hold her and form those beautiful intimate connections despite all of the things happening around you just speaks volumes about your love for her and yeah that mother's love that never changes yeah it's those things uh, you know even though you mentioned that the midwife sort of prompted you to do that your instincts still went there your mother instincts still went there and you still did it and one topic that generally keeps does sort of um comes up in conversation especially for um mothers that maybe have just lost their baby has just died but they yet to birth um the fear of um how they're going to be do they want to hold the baby do they not there's, there's so much fear around that and i think once people hear um from um mothers like us on that you know your instincts kick in no matter what your mama instincts kick in because you know no matter how they look to you they're still the most beautiful baby in the world and nothing will ever change that absolutely yeah mm. and i also wanted to sort of touch on that uh you talking about um sort of getting to that end part with luna um and not wanting to let her go because she's in that safe place with you and you know that's sort of taking me back into my labor and that's i know that's the part that broke me too it like the one thing that I, I always refer back to is that as much as you can prepare yourself um we think you can prepare yourself because you can never prepare yourself for it um getting to that point of like crowning and birthing and your heart trying to let them go it's the one part that doesn't want to let them go because then you for me i know that's when i knew it was over i totally agree and you know i think the one thing that you will hold in every one of yourselves after something like this happens is the trauma of those moments of when they told you your baby's heart had stopped beating and the moments when you actually birth and holding your lifeless child because that is trauma that is like you know it's love and everything but it's still like full-blown trauma and I know for me especially like when I'm having those dark days now or when something you know all of a sudden my husband will be running 
home late from work and the first thing that comes into my mind is this flashbacks of holding my children that were lifeless or a certain face that a person who was in my birthing room like gave me you know it's all those real PTSD things that have actually been embedded into my cells from you know that very moment that was very real you know Mm, it's so powerful it and it instantly changes you it I kind of describe uh, my miscarriages and I, I don't mean to um, say that these are the same experiences but with my miscarriage I certainly felt that my life was instantly divided into the time before even the time before I had been pregnant, but also the time before I, my baby was living and the time thereafter when my baby had died and therefore also a part of me had died. And I still feel that clear distinction today uh, for the person that I am now. And I think that um, it's true for many different types of trauma and I imagine that it's similar in stillbirth, that those moments are so powerful in creating the before and after. Oh, for sure. It, it moves from, you know, for me, it's life before Lunar and Atlas and life after Lunar and Atlas. But, you know, even yesterday when I was having a bad day, it's like I get trapped in this. I want to be the mother that I was supposed to be world. Like I want to be taking my kids to the market right now or I want to be having a nap with my son, you know, or doing all of that sort of stuff that a mother is meant to do or I move to the I just want to be a normal person again. Like I just want to be me and this happy, outgoing, bubbly person that I felt like I used to be and in some ways, yeah, sure, I'm still that person but like I don't feel like that person you know, I would never be that person again, nor will I be this mother to Luna and Atlas here on Earth, you know, again. So it's just something that you have to unfortunately live with and you do move back and forth in between two worlds with this mix of trauma kind of weaving its way in between. Yeah, it's um something I know I personally um well, you know, I I say quite often is that I died in that suite with Axel because it's just there was I'm a completely different person and that's, you know, going off exactly how you feel. You know, it's those you want to be – most people feel like they just want to get back to who they were, this back to normal, but there isn't a normal after – you've lost a baby it's you're a completely different changed person and as much as yeah like you want to be a bubbly soul and you still are to some degree you are a completely new person and it's trying to and then taking that time to somehow navigate and find who that person is um if you can <laughs> if you can ever find it i don't i don't know but um yeah it's it's definitely something that um you know it comes up quite often mm. yeah 
So on that, after Luna, do you want to um, go into um, your story in a little bit of that sort of time frame between Luna and the conceiving of Atlas? Yep. So um, after we lost Luna, like after labour, because I had an epidural, they um, put a catheter in. Um, when they took the catheter out for the birthing Luna, they forgot to put it back in. So, and I was drinking loads of water because of all those drugs I was on. Um, so my bladder distended because I couldn't feel myself. I didn't feel like I needed a piece and my bladder didn't go to the toilet. Uh, so I ended up with really bad bladder distension and I was having to self-catheterize for about three months. So I was literally having to, when I'd go out of the house, I'd bring my little pan I'm a little, it was once a baking pan, it is not anymore. <laughs> but I bring my little pan and my needle for my catheter. I'd sit on the bathroom floor, I'd open my legs, I'd use a little mirror and I'd try to find my urethra hole, stick this needle through and let the urine come out like every, you know, few hours. And I was doing this all through morning and going through the very early stages of grief. Um, we, I knew the moment that we lost Luna, like, I just wanted to try again. I remember saying to one of the doctors being like, how soon, like, can we have another baby? Can we have another baby? And all of that. And you have to do this big, you know, you have to wait for the autopsy results, which is just like torture. I, I think I spent every single day in between peeing on my bathroom floor into a pan, reading and researching why babies die in utero, what is stillbirth, you know. And I had all these, like, maybe it was placenta eruption, um, maybe it was something else. Maybe there was something wrong with us. I had this list of things that I was like, okay, it could be any of these. Um, and then we finally had our autopsy appointment and our head doctor just pretty much said, you know, the, we haven't found anything. Like Luna was healthy, you're healthy, Lukey's healthy. Um, this sort of thing, even though this is not what you want to hear, like it's hard to have no reason it's the best outcome because it doesn't really happen again they pretty much said that it's like getting struck by lightning twice in one week so even though when I finally got this news that's kind of what I went home with and I'll tell my family and friends being like yes I know there's there's no reason but um, it's not going to happen again it's like so so rare to happen again um, it also helped me heal in a way because I because I do have that more, I guess, spiritual headset. I used to just say Luna was moving through this life in her, like it was her karma and I was the strongest vessel that she could find to kind of reside in me and then so she could go on and clear her karma and, you know, be this amazing healing person that she is now in some divine world. So for me, even though, of course, I would want my baby back, like that's just, um, you know, just no, no non-negotiable. I also knew that she just had to, she couldn't be here because she was too good for this world and she had something else that she needed to do and that kind of helped me. Um, we pretty much started trying as soon as I was able to get the catheter out again. In fact, I think we may have started trying while I was having to like do this in between. I had a lot of scar tissue from Luna, like I had a few stitches that could have been stitched but I think the midwives just kind of left me alone because they were like, if she's been through enough, she'll heal up. 
which in some ways I look back and being like, oh, not good enough. Like I wish you just stitched me because we ended up having really painful intercourse throughout trying to conceive Atlas. Um, I think it was month, uh, month five or month four, we had a miscarriage. Um, I was sad. I wasn't sad in the sense of I miss my baby. I was sad in the sense of why is my body doing this to me? Like what, why am I connecting with my body? What is wrong with my body? I also had so much fear because I was like, am I never going to be able to get pregnant again? And then I did the whole Google search of second infertility and all the reasons why I couldn't get pregnant and all of that sort of stuff. Then the next month came around and once again we had another miscarriage. So we had two recurrent miscarriages. At that point, um, I kind of put on, I guess you could call it my strong hat, and I was like, Bianca, your body is doing something. You need to give it time. You need to just breathe through this. You need to meditate. You need to know that this is not your path. Your path will open for you, and this is just something that your body is just being through trauma, and it needs to cleanse my uterus. So that's where I went with the second miscarriage. I also chose not to go to the doctors for the second miscarriage because I just – um, you know, you reach a point, any woman that's lost a baby, that you kind of are like, I'm done with doctors. It's just it's trauma. It's trauma again and again. Um, so we then the following month, sure enough, the month when I was like, effort, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to do go back to doing my hot yoga every single day. I'm going to have some gin and tonics on the weekend with my girls. <laughs> Next morning, do a bloody pregnancy test. Boom. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. I wasn't ready for this, but of course it's, you know, they always say when you stop worrying about it, it happens. And I must admit, I wanted to be one of those people that was like, no, I went every single day. I had my legs up the wall every time after intercourse. I planned it to the freaking T and I got pregnant. Not one of those people that was like, oh, whoopsie, we just got pregnant. <laughs> anyway, so that's how it happened. Um, from the moment I peed on that stick, I said to my partner, I was like, it's a boy. And he was like, yeah, maybe. And I was like, no, it's a boy. I'm telling you right now, like, I have got full, strong, masculine energy in me. And it made me really notice that when I was pregnant with Luna, I felt that divine feminine energy, whereas with this next pregnancy, Atlas, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is so robust and so strong and, you know, very masculine energy running through me. Like, I remember I was even craving, like, so much beer and I was, like, really getting into heavy metal music and I just became really assertive. So, yeah, we so we found out we are pregnant with Atlas six months after losing Luna. Okay. Um, I'm just going to backtrack because obviously you've just touched on as well um, the two miscarriages you've had between the two. Um, do you want to tell us, like, how – what were the sort of gestations for those miscarriages? Yeah, they were super early. Um, the first one was, I think, six weeks. And the second one was, it was like five weeks and seven days. And the only reason I knew about the second one is because we were tracking ovulation and everything so hardcore that I knew. And then when I appeared on a pregnancy test, it was faint and then I, I went back to my doctors and they just pretty much told us like over the phone that 
it's just an, another miscarriage and like and, and they're like do you want to come in get your hcg checked it might pick up but i knew that i knew that i was miscarrying it was the exact same thing that happened last time the first miscarriage i only got faint positive pregnancy tests which was i think i just kind of knew that something wasn't right because i was like why isn't it super strong like it was with luna you know so they were they were definitely hard and they were definitely like that shock to my whole body um but again it's just it's hard when you've been through both to kind of compare and feel sad over the miscarriages because it's just so different but then I feel for the women that have like you know they're trying to get pregnant and they have a miscarriage because what they lose is they lose that hope and that joy of what they were meant to have but I'd already lost all of that so when we had this miscarriage it was more just a back step in our journey it wasn't I didn't really feel like I was losing too much you know what I mean Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's in it, as you said, like you, you've seen the two differences between your pregnancy test with Luna and then those two different back-to-back pregnancy tests that were not quite there um, and that your, and as you said, like your intuition again kicks in and how you're feeling um, and you have such, um, I want to say, a, a beautiful insight to it all through so much pain and sadness but your outlook to be able to navigate through with that is, um it's it's very impressive so um but i know that you and i have spoken about that in the sense that you know a lot of people will point out how strong you are and how resilient um because of you know your yoga and your outlook on life and all these types of things but um as you've mentioned you have such um you know there are days like you had yesterday where, you know, not everybody can just go through it and be 100% together because you're only really going to be about 50% together half the time anyway. So, Mm. yeah. Mm. I think it was really important what you said about losing so many things when you lost Luna. You lost that hope and that joy and I... Yeah, obviously it's infathomable to have the hope and and also to be told this is not going to happen again, there's no reason for this. And so stepping into Atlas's story now, I feel like we've got this this context for um, what we know is about to happen. Mm. Yeah. So if you want to go into Atlas's journey, because this comes into what we've spoken about a lot at the moment is pregnancy after loss and how you probably were feeling. Um, so if you want to delve into that for us as well. Yeah, sure. So um, I was <laughs> I was definitely crazy. Um, I was 
it's so hard because I remember when we were driving home, we went to York Peninsula when we found out we were pregnant with Atlas and I got the pregnancy test. And we're driving home in the car and I turned to my partner and I said, it's a boy and all of that. And I said, you know, everything's actually going to be okay. Like this baby is going to be so fine. And he was like, yeah, I know. It's going to be all good this time. And that actually stuck with me. And when I look back on it now, I feel a bit stupid for thinking like that. But that 100% that was like my everything's okay. I was still crazy and scared and nervous. I went from natural birth, water birth, I'll fall into labor naturally, you know, do your, I did hockey yoga four, four times a week with Luna. I didn't get any vaccinations with Luna. I was that, I didn't dye my hair. I didn't get my nails done. I didn't get my false eyelashes done. You know, I didn't even spray, spray, spray and wipe up the yoga studio to clean the mirrors. I was like, sorry, I can't clean the mirrors because I don't want to inhale spray and wipe. And then I went to, Atlas's pregnancy was like, right, I want all you doctors in white coats surrounded by me like 24-7. I want every single scan. You know, I went from like complete opposite. And it's funny because I have friends that – it's not funny, but I have friends that have actually gone through losses and then in their subsequent pregnancy, they were quite the same. They were like, actually, no, I want to know everything. Like I want to know what gender the baby is straight away and I want to know – how the baby's going on a more of a weekly basis. And I want to get the baby out early. You know, that's a huge thing. So for us, we went through the pregnancy with loads of early scans. Uh, I was seeing a great fertility specialist um, who she let me come in like every week and do a scan, which was so reassuring. And she was just so lovely about it. So that definitely really helped getting those scans because I had those two early miscarriages. I just assumed that I was going to miscarry again. And then I, you know, dived deep into that rabbit hole of Google and was like, I'm going to have a missed miscarriage. So it was literally every week for me was like this tiny little milestone. Um, when we got to our 20-week scan, it was like awesome. Like he was buzzing around. He was moving so much. And we also found out he was a boy at 15 weeks, even though I knew he was a boy. <laughs> I knew from the get-go, I was telling everyone it's a boy. And people would kind of look at me being like, aren't you in it like seven weeks? And I'm like, oh, yeah, but it's a boy. So when he finally came out a boy, I was like, phew, <laughs> just in case. Um, but we found out he was a boy at 15 weeks, and then we had our 20-week scan, and he was super busy and active. And it was kind of reassuring because Luna actually wasn't in our 20-week scan. She hardly moved. And I remember I had to like get into this down-dog position to try to move her around. And I wasn't phased with Luna about why she didn't move because it was my first pregnancy. And then when I look back on Luna's passing and, you know, what we lost, I was like, was that another sign? So for Atlas to be super active in a 20-week scan was very reassuring, and I went home super happy. Um, I was getting weekly acupuncture treatment by two different acupuncturists, um, one that's like a good friend of mine who I've been seeing for years, and another one who specialises in fertility. So she had me on a good strengthening herbs and supplements and helping me with my sleep and all of that. Um, Atlas's pregnancy, I got really bad ligament pain. So I wasn't sick at all. Like I wasn't even the slightest bit morning sickness. I was doing, I was buying those Clear Boo digital pregnancy tests that are like 40 bucks every week. I was doing them every single day. I was crazy in that sense. 
just because I was like, I might miscarry or I just need to make sure I'm pregnant. And I thought if it went down from, I think it goes up to two to three weeks, if it went down to one to two weeks, then I'd already know. And if I knew I was in control and if I was in control, everything would be a little bit easier. So already in Atlas's pregnancy, when I look back on it now, I could start to see that this weird sense of control started to come in, which was another way of me losing so much control with Luna. Um, after our 20-week scan, everything was looking pretty good. And I think our next one was our longest. We had to wait for 26 weeks. At 26 weeks, I went in and Alice moved way more than Luna. He was super active and I was like, oh, right, this is what it's meant to feel like. Like this is a, a lot different, which was also reassuring. And I thank him every day. I was like, thanks, little man. Like keep being strong, keep being you. Um, at 26 weeks, though, again, that bloody mother's instinct came in and I just felt weird. And I said to the woman at the high risk, we were in high risk at this point, and I said to her and I was like, and we got a different random doctor every single time, which I must say that was just so hard that not having the same person to get to know and to be able to relate to and for someone to have to read over your story again and again and again with every appointment was awful. It was just, it's not acceptable, you know, in my eyes. I think women who have had a loss should definitely be treated a lot different. Anyway, so at 26 weeks, I said to her, I don't feel right about the movements. I don't really have a pattern. That's what I said. She goes, well, maybe your baby's pattern is they just don't have a pattern. So I was like, okay, what is that just go against everything that everyone's ever said before? I was like, oh, my God, okay, my baby doesn't have a pattern. And this is when it all started. So I had that woman's voice in my head thinking, you know, your baby's pattern is just not, doesn't have a pattern. So I just would have days where outlooks would be super busy and then he would be super chilled. But in my head I was like, well, he's not moving that much today because this is his quiet day. There would be some mornings he would move and there will be some evenings he would move. There will be some mornings he wouldn't move and there will be some evenings he wouldn't move. It was so irregular. I just wish, I, I just honestly wish that when I complained about the irregular patterns, and I did it a few times as well, every time actually, I wish they were just like looked into it a different way or just didn't, you know, because then they were looking at me in a sense of, oh, well, this is pregnancy after loss. She's nervous. She's got anxiety. All these feelings are normal. And for me, again, I put that trust in them thinking, you know, they're probably right. I'm masking. I'm freaking out over nothing. Um, my husband is super positive as well. So he was like, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and then oh, at 31 weeks, we finally met our head doctor. It was the one that gave us our autopsy results for Luna. Um, he did a big scan for us and it was a really good scan. Like it was placenta flow and all this sort of stuff. And just a back note, we were actually doing home Dopplers. I got myself a home Doppler that I did um, every second day um, or my husband would hide it away from me if I was going too crazy and honing in on it. So usually every second day to just make me feel a little bit better about getting on with my day. Um, and then at 31 weeks, we saw... Uh, our doctor, he did this big scan. I said again, I just don't feel right about movements. Something just doesn't feel right. He's like, I feel like he, go, he goes, are you getting movements? And I was like, yeah, but they just don't feel as strong or something. I don't know how to describe it. And then he's looking at the ultrasound while Atlas is moving and Atlas moved and he goes, well, there you go. Did you feel that? And I said, 
yeah, kind of. It just wasn't that strong. And he goes, well, that's spontaneous movement. You know, everything's going to be okay. Everything looks all good here. Um, we went home. The next day, I went to an aqua aerobics class. That was my only exercise I did because obviously I quit the hot yoga because I was worried that maybe the heat had something to do with it. Um, also, side note, I did get vaccinations this time around. Just uh, for listening, I I went down that more medical path. Um, there was also a study said that if you get the flu vaccine, vaccination, you're less likely to have a stillbirth. So that's why I did that. Anyway, so the next day after we saw, met with our doctor, he was super busy at this aquafit class. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And in my head I had that, oh, here we go. He's all good now. Yesterday he was all good, so that's all good. And the following day he was so quiet, so, so quiet. That day happened to be a day where I met with a really good friend of mine now who she lost her little girl, Wallaby, six months after we lost Luna. So we spent the day together remembering our little girls and she told me about her pregnancy and her labour and I told her about mine. Um, and then Atlas hardly moved. And then when we finished, I thought, oh, sorry, little man, like I know my energy was probably really heavy today and you were energetically probably feeling that. I'm sorry. Um, and then that night I... Sit, we, I couldn't really feel him much. We went to the doggy park and took our dog for a walk. Um, and he moved and he wriggled about. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, you're freaking me out, buddy. Like, thank you. And then I got home. I made dinner. Something still wasn't sitting right with me emotionally and energetically. I made chicken burgers, which I just honestly, like, we haven't bought any ingredients to make chicken burgers in our house since. Like, chicken burgers are now... Not a thing in our household. Um, I sat down on the couch. I took one bite of my chicken burger and then it was like, it, it was so strong. Like I, it's so insane how connected I was more than I knew in this pregnancy. But I, it's like I felt this energetic gold cord snap and I just knew he just passed. And I remember just getting my partner and being like, get me the Doppler right now. And he was like, babe, you just used to do it a few hours ago. And I was like, Atlas just passed. He's just died. And he was like, oh, my God, babe, just chill out. Okay, I'll get it. He hasn't just died. You're okay. And I was like, you know, he's died. Like, I was, like, screaming. I knew, I knew, right? Like, I'd built this before in my body. I, and I was way more in tune with this little man than I was with Luna because this was my second pregnancy. Um, and then sure enough, we were frantically trying to use the Doppler. Um, we were trying different types of lube. Then we were trying different types of batteries, thinking that maybe the battery died. We wasn't picking up a heartbeat. Um, we just got in the car. I called the like, women's assessment, which is where you have to go for emergency, and I pretty much just said, I'm not waiting. My baby just passed. I'm going to walk straight in. That's all I said because I was like, last time they made us wait in this like waiting room for like an hour, you know. So I was like, I'm not waiting. Like you need to tell me right now. I need someone to do the ultrasound and just tell me because I know, but I need someone to tell me. Um, and then they put us in the exact same room where they told us Luna had passed. Um, it was like, like actual this sick, twisted groundhog day. They did the exact same thing 
they turned the screen around, they did the whole we're so sorry. You know, I, I just remember with my nails in the hospital bed, like this with Luna, I was just numb and shocked and surreal. Whereas with Atlas, it's literally, and I've spoken about this on my blogs and my stories when I talk about it, but it's like all that masculine energy that was from him inside of me just got lit to this flame and I was furious. Like I was ripping my nails into this bed and I just wanted to literally punch every single person and just be like, all of you, like including my husband, like all of you told me that this was going to be okay. You all lied to me. And I was just, I was furious. And then, you know, the same thing happened again. Like we called our family to come in. I already knew what was happening. I already knew what the next plan was. I could tell the bloody midwife what's next if she's never had a stillbirth before, if this is her first time, you know. So this time I actually wanted to go home. I think because we'd left in such a rush, I just kept on freaking out about my dog. And my dog was so close to me after Luna passed. Like he literally would sit on my chest like he wanted me to breastfeed him. Like it was like he just knew. So I just really needed to get home and see Harley. And once again, they gave us some sleeping pills and they said, come back in the morning. And before we went home, like they put us in a room upstairs this time um, and our head doctor came in and obviously we just saw him a few days ago and he he wanted to do an ultrasound because obviously his mind was probably like what the hell like I'd literally just saw an alive baby and I wouldn't be surprised if he was like she did warn me you know I wouldn't be surprised if that went through his mind being like oh my god she was feeling something so I I 100% guarantee now he would be a, a different doctor from this and he said to me like and in some ways it was really hard but he was looking at the ultrasound and obviously he said I just can't see anything here and he said he's struggling to look me in the eyes and I could see like he didn't want to look me in the eyes and he said to me he's like um I just can't even look you in the eyes because I told you a few days that everything's going to be okay and at that point I was like well that's really nice for you to acknowledge that in a way that you lied to me because I am angry at you. Um, but then when I look back at it now, I'm just like, I don't care about your pride. This wasn't, this isn't about you and what you're struggling with, you know. So now it's like a whole other story. But we went home and, uh, I, like, I didn't say, you know, actually I got home and I said to my partner, I was like, give me a cigarette. I was just angry, you know, this – I. I just wanted a cigarette. I had the cigarette and I threw my guts up. Oh, my God, it made me so sick. And I, But it was kind of nice to be completely blinded by something else other than what's going on. We didn't we didn't sleep this time. We just, we just cried and cried and it was horrendous. And all my friends came around and, yeah, the next day we went back into the hospital and started the Groundhog Day. And I must add that they put us in the same room that we birthed Luna as well. I had to keep on telling myself, Bianca, it's just four walls, a ceiling and a window. It's just four walls, a ceiling and a window. <sighs> My goodness, darling. It's, you know, that that's a true testament to um, just how you ended that with it's four walls, a ceiling and a window. Yeah. 
because to be in that same space, the same feelings, the same story again, I just, it's trying to find anything you can grasp onto to get your head into a different space to somehow deal with everything that's being thrust upon you again. It's, um, yeah. And how is, how is beautiful Atlas? Yeah. So this time round, um, because I had that sweet day with my girlfriend who lost her little girl, she actually told me about, because she was the same gestation as me, and she actually told me, with like Luna, she told me that they just um, broke her waters and induced her naturally. And I remember when I heard this story just being like, what? Why did I have to take that stupid drug then? Why couldn't they have done that with me? So this time around, I was like, all you beep, 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 listen to me right now, because this is how we're doing it. I said, I'm not taking that drug again. It made me really sick. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. Um, I also had my four best friends in the room with my husband the whole time, like the whole time. Um, they were trying to put me into labor naturally, and then I pretty much just said, right, I'm just going to call my Chinese doctor. He's going to come in and put me into labor. Um, within an hour of my Chinese doctor being there, I was in full-blown labor. Like it was already happening, which is pretty – incredible for you know acupuncture and Chinese medicine in pregnancy like it, I'm such a big believer on it um so he had me in full-blown labor and then he left and he's such a beautiful man I might add as well he helped me with my bladder problems with Luna to bring back sensation so that was the only way I ended up being able to learn how to pee again um was through acupuncture so I knew that he could have helped me get into labor so he came in and um, I had my four girlfriends with me. It was a, a quick labor. It was only four hours. I, In a weird way, I was having that birth I did want, that psychedelic inner gasking birth with my women in the room, loving my husband. I got my Chinese doctor to put me into labor. Like, that's pretty cool, right? Like, you know, this is... This is, I'm kind of getting back to those holistics. I know better roots that I wanted originally. Um, I, I had a, like a midwife that was there. And it's, it's interesting, you know, these midwives and these doctors that you have, they don't understand the impact that they have on you and for the rest of your life. She was super pushy. Because they knew about my past bladder problem, when it came to pushing, they were kind of like, well, she was like, come on, you got to do it, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I remember kind of looking around like in this like pain labour phase and looking at my girlfriend's being like, oh, my God, she's so bitchy, like she needs to chill out. This is, And I could see, I could vibe off their energy being like, um, And then like when he was coming out, this time it would be me that was pulling my baby out. And I distinctively remember her putting her hand there and me just slapping it. Like I was angry. I'm a very angry labour person. I'm that person that's like, ah! like ripping into like my partner's 
like thing and being like and actually finding pleasure in hurting him while I'm in pain. So I'm that person. So I remember like slapping her um away and I I was helping pulling him out and I just pulled him onto me once again and oh it was just you know it was the exact same thing but this time there was this I don't know it's like all my girlfriends in the room I was doing it for them because I didn't want to do it for me I didn't want to do any of this for me there was no me I was gone I was so gone by this point like there was like I felt like there was no bringing me back so to have them in the room with me was huge to have that support and to have that, you know, aura of love surrounding me. And almost like when I got to pull my baby out, it was like I got to be like to everyone, look, look what I did. Look how strong I am. I just birthed my second child who was lifeless. And you're all in the room and you get to see this and I'm doing this for you right now. So, yeah, that's how we birthed him, which was so nice to have that. He was so stunning. Like, I know it sounds bad, but I remember just being like, oh, my God, he's better looking than Luna (laughs) in such a weird – like, they're so gorgeous. I don't mean that really. But I remember being like, oh, wow, we make such good-looking boys. Like, he was such a little babe and he would have been such a little dude. And, you know, his energy inside of me, I already knew who he was. And then seeing him was like, yeah, they're your arms that punched me. They're your legs. And, you know, it's, it was just, oh, it was just, you know, indescribable once again. Um, this time round, though, my placenta didn't want to come out. So I think within three minutes or something, it got pretty serious um they all I remember is them being like Russia to emergency now I have this like memory of just me handing our son to his father and just looking at them and being like wow this is the first time I'm seeing him hold his son and it's beautiful seeing your your husband hold their daughter as well and then seeing his son it's you know Boys love boys, and I know when we were pregnant with Atlas, he just definitely was so stoked he was having a little boy. So I remember just looking at him, just being like, fuck, this sucks. Like, I, I failed him. That's what I felt like. I just completely failed him. And now my body is failing me, and now I'm going to die. So I'm getting wheeled out on this hospital bed, leaving this distant image in my mind as it's just moving away further in the distance and everyone in the room all all thought I was going to die because they were so frantic about it um then they knocked me up hardcore back on like full heavy bone epidural so I couldn't feel which was really hard because I was avoiding at this time obviously because of what happened with my catheter last time um which is sad that I even knew how to avoid that sort of stuff, right? It's just like, why do I even have to be thinking and considering this sort of stuff? Um, And I remember looking up at the ceiling and I was so numb. Like this moment was the darkest moment of my life. And I was just like, it was all good if I died. That was it. And I honestly thought I was going to die. And I remember the nurse going, are you all right, love? And it was like, I was like, no. But you want me to say yes? Like, really? 
like why would you say am I alright like you know and then I just remember being numbed up and I just felt hands like moving through my uterus like yanking out chunks of my placenta and but uh, you know before we knew it like I, I was fine and to be honest I think when you go through anything like this your mind just goes to those more darker places so I just assumed and everyone in the room assumed because they've obviously all been to this place too that I was going to die but Sure enough, I was back in the room with everyone and just soaking up Atlas for as long as we could. I just want to um, ask you, what are some of the moments that you had with both Luna and Atlas that you recall that are so, like, etched in your memory um, things that you know that you you have that you loved doing, um, and is there anything that you kind of maybe did with Atlas that you regretted maybe not doing with Luna, and just things like that? So, because I know you know everybody gets to the point, I think, that they always look back and think, I could have done this more. Um, you know, as much as you always do, as much as you can, but because those moments really are so short, um, it's always nice to sort of hear from everyone, yeah, what their best moments and then their moments they wish they had have got. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, with Luna, my girlfriends were so, like, I have some awesome friends. It's insane how amazing my little bunch of goddesses is but they came into the hospital with Luna and they on their way to the hospital to meet her they actually googled what to do and what to bring to a woman that's had a stillbirth so they came fully prepared with outfit camera um a little badge that would have you know a symbolic and they also came with a little notepad to add the photos in with a little stamp that we could do her fingers and um, hand and footprints. So that was really special for me. With Luna, I had this weird thing that I couldn't give her the outfit that they gave me. And I was like, no, 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 this is for the baby that has to come home. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I was, it was like I just couldn't put it on her. Like I, it was weird. I just don't even know you know, to this day what that was. So I wanted to keep it and take it home as memory of something that maybe was meant to be for Luna, but it's actually coming home. So that really was beautiful. I, I chose against the photos with uh, Luna that they come in and take only because I was really scared of people touching her. And only a bereaved mother knows this, but when you're holding your baby, all of a sudden their nose will start bleeding um, if you touch them too fast, their skin will peel off. And this is morbid, right? This is horrendous. But you still love that child so much. But uh, that was really scaring me with Luna. So I didn't really want anyone to touch her and do all of that sort of stuff. I just needed to hold her. And there was a few nights in hospital where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd buzz the nurse. And obviously Luna had to get put in the fridge every night because back with Luna they didn't have cold cots. So then I'd buzz her and I'd be like, bring her in, I need my baby. And all of that. So I really, my one of my best friends did a little photo frame of her footprints and her handprints, and that's literally resting on my bed right now. Like I can see it 
overhead. And that really meant a lot to me. And then we did the same with Atlas, whereas this time I gave Atlas, I actually gave him more nice for clothes. I think with Luna, I was like, I'll just give her the clothes that are okay to get cremated. Whereas with Atlas, I was like, I'm giving you that special beanie that I absolutely love that had these cute little ears on it, and I'm giving you Luna's outfit. So I gave him the outfit that Luna was meant to wear that my girlfriends brought in, and that was super, you know, super special for us as well. With Atlas, we ended up taking way more photos. I still got loads of Luna, like beautiful, beautiful photos, but we just took a few more, and we also had more people meet him. Like my parents got to meet him, whereas they met Luna, but it was more kind of very brief and it was real, like, what do we do here in this situation? But I guess all my friends and my family were prepared second time round, as sad as that is, but they were prepared to meet baby and hold baby and pretty much just not leave our sides this time. Um, I also got these beautiful hearts that were probably so symbolic for me from the Still Aware Foundation, which is just, to me, that foundation is huge. And there are these two little wooden hearts that was from two other little babies that they, that the founder and one of their volunteers had lost that they had given to Luna and Atlas. So we got those framed in this beautiful picture that rests on our bedside. So they were probably the more symbolic things. I think it's true to say as well that anyone that's, gone through this sort of loss they really um they cling on to anything that someone gives you like i even had like a crystal that someone gave me or i've had all these beautiful things that they give me as a memory like even this pot that held flowers that is an ugly pot and i don't even use the pot but i can't get rid of the pot because the pots were a symbolic reason for you know and i think only a bereaved mother would really understand that if not, then I'm just a little bit crazy. But, yeah, so they were probably the big main things of the footprints and having those little outfits. Yeah. Mm. I think that there's just such incredible wisdom in the way that you called your friends to come to you in that moment. And I... That to me is just so beautiful that they showed up for you um, and that they researched what they could bring and what they could do for you. And I also think, um, sorry, I'm getting quite emotional. Um, I think that something that you offer the world in telling this story and in bringing your friends to you is giving people the permission to understand what this loss looks like and permission to speak about it and to show up and to give those gifts to you, whether they are the physical ugly pot, whether that's the beanie or whether that's them just being there for you in that moment. That to me is just... Um. yeah, incredible. And you tell your story in just the most beautiful way, the language that you've provided um, for Luna and Atlas is incredible. And 
I feel so connected with you and your story and I know that our listeners will feel the same. You've really taken us on such a beautiful journey and timeline through these tragedies in your life. So thank you so much for giving that the amazing language and narrative that you have. Yeah, and I think and just being so raw and not holding back on anything, um, it just it just shows so much um, of you and you know honoring your babies in the space and yeah we're very honored so thank you Bianca thank you mm-hmm. is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners um I think it's it's beautiful to connect with other mums that have gone through similar losses I know when you lose your baby, like 90% of the time, you've probably got a pregnant friend that goes on to have their healthy baby. And it's such a lonely, lonely time because you feel so, you know, you're already heartbroken, but then you're isolated and you feel like that person. So connecting with these like groups of people is amazing, like Sands and Sids, um, but also still aware. I think for our story in particular, if I had found Still Aware earlier, maybe things would have been different because they're all about uh, educating clinicians and doctors that the mother's voice is stronger. Whereas because I didn't really know about this, it was really hard for me. So looking back on that now, I really encourage other women, even pregnant, to get onto those sort of movements and really understand your baby because you do know your baby. And even if you're like, oh, maybe I'm just freaking out or something, who cares? Just go get a scan. Just put your foot down and be like, I just want to get a scan. I know someone that's actually had a stillbirth and, you know, they thought everything was all good. And, you know, so I think being your biggest voice and connecting with these groups that can help you be a stronger voice is really important. Yeah, I think that's such a great point because it's such a um, – I'm going to kind of throw it back because I remember you saying at the start um, when you were reading that book that you got to the end where you started reading about that stillbirth and you were like, no, 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 that's not me, you know. And and I think where this lies in something that I um, feel is 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 where especially as a mum, either first-time mum or the second time, it's all these things that, um, you know, we now have quite a few within this space that are quite good um, advocates for trying to, you know, listening to the mother's intuition, finding out what's wrong, um, is there problems with the baby, is it just, you know, there's all these things that are around and yet... Um, I think until we're sort of touched by it, we just we don't want to go there because it's too sad and it won't happen to me. But the stats show that, you know, there's so much of it around and that um, I, th- I think somehow if we, you know, it, it's, it should become a bit more open even just within, you know, the GPs and people just being able to kind of lay it out a bit more openly with, you know, when you are pregnant because the stats don't lie and they should be lower, but they're unfortunately not. And, um, 
it's one of these things that I wish that, you know, you always wish that you had have known prior, but in a sense you become pretty like too confident to know any, to want to be, put yourself in that space. Um, or too yeah. naive even. I feel like yeah, my best pregnancy is super naive. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I, I've had a few friends now that have gone on to have their kids and they've actually like one of my good girlfriends and she's a yoga teacher. She went into hospital twice and purely on the basis like, I don't know, but my friend also didn't know. So you're giving me a scan, which in some ways for me, like I, I feel and meeting her baby and stuff like that, it's always hard meeting someone else's baby, but there's something about her baby that I actually feel fine meeting because I'm like, you listened to me. You didn't just think that this is not going to happen to me kind of person. You know, you actually listened to me and that is, you know, that's very empowering and that's what we need to be like. We don't need to be fearful of it. We just need to be the mother straight away from the get-go. Like be that strong voice for your child when they haven't developed their voice yet. That's right. And because as soon as you get that positive test, you're a mother. So, um, you know, no matter where along that gestational period, that that very first moment, that's you. You are a mother. Your life is completely altered from that moment. And, yeah, like, it, and that's where we are so, in a sense, privileged to share our stories. And I think that's the important part of trying to, you know, as you said, like, your friend listened to you. And that's very, very powerful, um, you know, and that gives you a sense of um, purpose and, you know, having people not just go, don't worry, it won't ever happen to me. And, and I, I think definitely that, have um, those people. Yeah, and, and you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite powerful, you know, to be able to, you know, feel like you want to, you know, alter, you know, make sure you're there to, make sure no one else goes through what you go through because no bereaved, every single bereaved mother's purpose becomes about not letting someone else go through it. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to share or? Oh, no, that's, you know, I I feel sorry mine's taken so long. Like I guess your normal podcast is, Maybe one baby, but I've got like, oh, I've got it all. I'm like a, I'm the lot. I'm the pizza with the lot. So I'm sorry if I'm talking still. And I like to talk a lot, so I'm sorry if it took a bit of time. No, that's, yeah. As we said, we, we were, had, we held the floor for as long as you needed. And this is your story. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just here to hold, hold that space for you and your beautiful babies. So thank you. We are so honored to have. Um, being able to speak with you today mm. so thank you yeah. so much for showing up in the way you have for us and for yourself and for your babies and our audience we yeah we are truly honored thank you so much Bianca yeah thank you so much girls yeah and you know I know that by you sharing already you help so many people so I just hope this is another um, platform where people can listen to you and know that, you know, they're not alone or even if there's people that are around 
that are pregnant and haven't hurt, you know, been touched by loss, that they make these steps um, to go about avoiding and listening to their intuition. Um, so, yes, and, you know, I, I personally hold so much space in my heart for you and I want babies, all the babies in your life that, you know, I, I truly, truly believe will be there for you. So I hope so. That day comes, I will be there to give you the biggest hug ever. <laughs> and I still want to give you the biggest hug ever. So um, thank you and vibe with our crystals. information is not a substitute for professional advice or care. Please seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional in the event that something you learn here raises questions or concerns for your health. Also, if you require support regarding your loss, SANS Australia has a national support line 24 hours a day. The number is 1300-072-637. Also, see our website for further resources and links for support.